I'm Clarence Ballman with Ballman Ranch in Cost, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. So glad to be back with you for another edition of Texas Ag Today. So jump on in with me. Buckle up. Let's take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, illegal immigration on the southern border continues to cause problems for Texas farmers and ranchers. In an effort to address that problem, the Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association is forming a border security task force. We'll have more on that task force coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. The occupancy rate remains high in the feed yards of the Texas Panhandle and the surrounding region. I'm James Hunt and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. The importance of four pillars of grain sorghum in trials of the crop in the upper Gulf Coast. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. This is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. Extreme South Texas stays hot and dry. Sorghum is near harvest cotton blooming across the valley. We'll have those stories and more in today's report. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Our southern border remains open and Texas farmers and ranchers continue to face dangers every day because of a flood of illegal immigration. To address the problem, the Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association has formed a border security task force. That group consists of impacted cattlemen from across South Texas, staff members, and the association's special rangers. Victoria area cattleman Stephen Diebel chairs the task force. Well, so far, we've been in two committee hearings, both in the House and the Senate. You know, we're directly talking to DPS. We're directly talking to many of the law enforcement arms and, and trying to just to be there from a supportive role. I think we're trying to get to some hard and definitive solutions. But then again, that's a really, really hard topic to come up with as to, you know, what we do about a problem that's it's about not enforcing the laws that are on the books. And like I said, we all know what the problem is, but coming up with some hard and steadfast solutions that help membership out there and help all the agriculture producers out there has been really, really challenging. Diebel says the top priority of the task force is to have a strong line of communication with both Austin and Washington, D.C. The cattle market has shown some surprising strength over the last couple of weeks, with fed cattle prices hitting a new high for the year. But one shadow hanging over any gains in cattle prices is the run-up in corn prices back to the $8 level. That according to Donna Hughes, Senior Risk Management Consultant for Stonex in Abilene. 
You know, demand for corn is good. We're supported on the front end and basis levels are good for producers. And so the higher the corn goes, the more pressure we see in livestock markets as far as uh, corn for feed and, and that sort of thing. And of course, wheat futures as well, you know, they're holding more steady than we have seen with gains in corn. But corn markets, certainly, when we're looking at some hot and dry weather into the end of the month and possibly over uh, in extended forecasts the next 60 to 90 days, um, that does tend to put a premium into the grain market. Cash-fed cattle traded as high as $1.50 last week in the Northern Plains. Former Dallas Cowboys quarterback Tony Romo and the Beef It's What's for Dinner brand teamed up to celebrate Father's Day last weekend with some delicious beef recipes. Funded by the checkoff, Romo joined as the brand's 2022 spokesperson earlier this year to promote beef nutrition, production, and taste. There are a lot of cattle in Texas feedlots right now. James Hunt tells us feedlot inventories are more than 2% larger than a year ago. Coming up on Friday, we'll get the national figures from USDA in the monthly cattle on feed report. But as for the three-state area represented by Texas Cattle Feeders Association, the numbers remain high. Brady Miller of TCFA says the headcount in the feed yards of Texas, Oklahoma, and New Mexico is estimated to be up by about 2.6% from a year ago. If you look at what we have on feed today in Texas, Oklahoma, and New Mexico, we're setting right around 3.2 million. If you compare that to a five-year average, on a five-year average, we're typically running about a 3.145 million head on feed. So we are running a tick above our five-year average. We do have quite a few cattle on feed. Our yards are full. They're full. We've got lots of cattle in them. However, Miller believes the numbers will be going down before too long. I do believe at some point here in the near future, when I say in the near future, you know, within the next uh, four to six months, maybe as far out as a year, with our cow numbers that we've been harvesting, uh, these numbers are going to dip. Now, turning our attention to other cattle business matters, we recently gave you a preview of the Texas A&M AgriLife event on direct beef sales. Well, there was so much interest in that program, the number of people who wanted to attend exceeded the seating capacity at the AgriLife Center in Amarillo, so some people were turned away. However, if you're a rancher interested in selling your own beef, Tiffany Lashmet of AgriLife says there will be a handbook available soon. It's actually the same stuff we cover today, just much more detail. I think as far as a resource for someone looking to start this type of business, we're really excited to have this available. I don't think there's anything else like it out there, and I think that would be a great resource for folks who are interested. We'll let you know how to get a copy when the handbook is released. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Crop field days are back in business after the COVID-induced two-year break. Tom Nicoletti took a look at some grain sorghum trials recently at a field day in southeast Texas. My guest today is Brian Thomas. He is with uh, Bear Crop Science, Specialty Crops Portfolio Manager, and he was among 150 people at a field day. And uh, Brian, uh, what was your message uh, to uh, the growers here about uh, the grain sorghum uh, trials here? Well, yeah, thanks, Tom. It was a great event. You know, it's something with COVID we haven't been able to reunite and, and get back together. So it's great to see all the growers and all the interest. You know, as it pertains to sorghum, you, you 
you're just amazed at the resiliency of the crop. The operator here, uh, great supporters, just said maybe got seven inches tops of rain, and typically he's averaging maybe around 50. So it was just great to see how, how resilient and how good you know the grain sorghum still looked. Yeah, and that's about seven and a half inches since January 1st. So certainly the drought has impacted the crops in this area of the state. And uh, uh, there are four uh, key elements that you and others uh, with uh, DeKalb, uh, Asgo Delta Pine look at. Uh, talk about those elements uh, as they pertain to the crop and why it's important. Well, sure. As we're looking at DeKalb grain sorghum, obviously our main focus is grower profitability. And our main focus is is yield, obviously. But then we're also, you know, as it comes into breeding, we're really looking at drought tolerance, uh, standability. Right now, we're having everything be resistance to sugarcane aphid. So those are kind of the four pillars that we're really focusing on breeding and we're looking at before we consider bringing to the market. That is Brian Thomas with Bear Crop Science. From Fort Bend County, I'm Tom Nicoletti for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Extreme South Texas is hot and dry as sorghum harvest gets underway there. Jim Hearn has an update from the Rio Grande Valley. Valley daytime temperatures are near records with daily readings now near triple digits. Now we're not seeing any rain in sight for the time being. Valley sorghum is coloring. Bronze red heads are just a few weeks from harvest now. The crop looks good. Corn is not far behind. The ears are filling out, and the harvest well is also just a few weeks away. The valley's cotton crop is blooming all the way to the top of the plants. Some acreage that was zeroed out because of the drought in the early season, that has, of course, been factored into the overall planting acreage. The crop that remains, though, does look excellent. The valley planted approximately 185,000 acres of cotton this year, and overall it's been a generally good year. The sugar mill is now in repair mode. The harvest is over, and the mill will do some repairs getting ready for next season. The sugarcane crop was generally fair. Many fields are still experiencing some damage from the February 2021 freeze. The citrus crop continues to progress along. Fruit is now the size of tennis balls. Irrigation crews, though, are extremely busy. Crews are irrigating at least on a three-week schedule. The watermelon harvest is peaked out now. The harvest should start moving northward in just a few weeks. This is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. Wild hogs continue to be a massive problem for Texas farmers and ranchers. Jessica Domel takes a look at just how big the problem is coming up in today's wildlife report. Plus, gastrointestinal parasites are the single greatest threat to Texas sheep and goat producers. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com for an agent you can trust with life's most important decisions. 
Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Gastrointestinal parasites are the single greatest threat to Texas sheep and goat producers. Dr. Bob Judd takes a look at the damage they can cause. Common names for the gastrointestinal parasite include the stomach worm, barber's pole, or candy cane worm. Texas A&M AgriLife Extension indicates the adult worm is found in the abomasum or fourth stomach compartment and can be up to one and one-fourth inches long. Females can produce up to 5,000 eggs daily, and an infection of 10,000 larvae can cause the animal to lose one ounce of blood per day. So for young animals, high infection rates can deplete the blood supply in just a couple of weeks. Larvae can go from the egg to larval stage in 3 to 10 days, depending on temperature and humidity. Most eggs do not survive 24 hours of freezing temperatures or over 100 degree temperatures, and decreased moisture also decreases egg and larva survival. After the larva hatches, it undergoes a final molt which retains the outer coat and prevents it from drying out. After ingestion by the animal, the larva can undergo a process called hypobiosis, and this is like hibernation over the winter. In the spring, larvae resume development, and the lactating ewe or doe are less able to rid themselves of the parasites, so large numbers of eggs are shed on the pastures awaiting newborn animals. The problem is that the worm has become resistant to most of the deworming products now available, and this is due to several reasons, including using an insufficient dose, due to having the wrong animal weight, not using the dewormer in the manner it was designed, using an ineffective compound or deworming, and then placing animals back on a heavily infested pasture. Join me next time for management solutions for this parasite. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Wild hogs continue to be a massive problem for Texas farmers and ranchers. Jessica Domel tells us there's an effort underway to find out just how big the problem is. To more precisely focus its feral hog or wild pig management strategies, the U.S. Department of Agriculture will soon survey 11,000 farmers in 11 states on the feral swine damage they've seen. According to USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service, the survey is being conducted in cooperation with USDA's Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service's Wildlife Service to measure the damage caused by feral swine to corn, soybeans, wheat, rice, peanuts, and grain sorghum in Alabama, Arkansas, California, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, North and South Carolina, and Texas. Will Hundle Jr., director of the NASS Southern Plains Regional Field Office, said completing the survey will help USDA better understand the impact that feral swine can have on crops across the country. He said it will help provide a foundation for feral swine research. NASS says if USDA USDA's APHIS Wildlife Services has a precise understanding of the amount of damage caused by feral swine to these crops, they can focus their management efforts more precisely in response. Farmers who receive the surveys in the mail are encouraged to fill them out and return them to USDA by August 12th. 
The survey may be filled out online using the new respondent portal or on paper. NASS says the information provided by farmers will be used for statistical purposes only. The responses will be kept confidential. The data provided by those surveyed will be analyzed as a baseline for future studies. Published information will be made available to the public through the APHIS Feral Swine Resources website. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. The corn market took a tumble to kick off the trading week, and that caused cattle prices to move higher. So how did the market trap up on Wednesday? Jessica will be back with a complete look at the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. know what to do if you're stuck on the railroad crossing? Get out of your vehicle. If a train is not approaching, find the blue and white emergency notification system sign on the traffic signs at the crossing. For help, call the number on the sign and give them the crossing number so they know your location and can alert train traffic. Remember, find the blue and white to save your life. For more information, visit OLI.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Lacking substantial support on Wednesday, both the live and fed cattle markets traded lower for much of the day. June live cattle down $1.70 Wednesday to $136.12. August live cattle down $1.32 to $134.92. October live cattle down $1.22 to $141.07. August feeder cattle down two dollars and fifteen cents to one seventy three fifteen. September feeder cattle down a dollar ninety seven to one seventy five thirty. October feeder cattle down a dollar sixty seven to one seventy seven thirty. Box beef was lower Wednesday. Choice down ninety seven cents to two hundred and sixty six dollars and fifty nine cents. Select was down a penny to two hundred and forty six dollars and sixty nine cents. Now let's check those livestock auctions. We're walking the pins with Larry Marble. Let's get started with a sheep and goat sale, a two-day sale from producers in Cargill, San Angelo. That means they'll sell Tuesday and Wednesday. Benny, what's it looking like to you right now? Uh, we're starting off with 9,300. We'll end up selling four or 5,000 more than we sold last week. So it's going to take us two full days to do that. I would suggest if, if somebody's got something to bring in and they're they're not there and they can wait till next week, they might want to think about that. Last week, we ended up with a big, big goat number compared to the lambs. Uh, lots of those little small underweight things. Of course, a lot of hair sheep lambs out there. And and these cold ewes, they're, they're showing up, but most of them are still marginal to go back to the country. Are numbers going to put any pressure on the market? Goat market is continuing to fall off kind of weekly. Lamb deal kind of got back closer to steady. Last week it was it was actually a little higher, five to ten dollars higher on that deal. Flesh still having a big, big influence on the value of these things. There's yeah. no doubt. And yeah. then this hot weather, it's hard for them to keep these little lightweights alive in the in the feed pen, especially these kid goats. How is the cattle sale shaping up for Thursday? You know, we're gonna have a pretty big one, it looks like to me. We've got a special calf sale slated. I know of a couple of bigger bunches of those calves coming in. We've got two cow consignments that are pretty attractive. I've heard some cows yesterday. There was thirty two of those cows, they're four to six year olds, big old Angus cows. Uh twelve of them had 
babies are five, five or six bigger calves, and their mothers will be pregnant tested along with all those that are real, that are dry. Another group of 53 to six-year-old Angus cows, uh, he didn't know for sure how many of those might pair, maybe as many as half of them, and we'll pregnant test the rest of them. So we're going to have plenty of uh, plenty of cattle this week. There's no doubt. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Benny Cox. They can call me on my mobile. It's 325-234-4277. The office is the St. Mary Code, 653-3371. Or they can always look at the web, which is producersandcargall.com. Neighbor, I'm Larry Marble. This has been Walking the Pens on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I put it all together, and guess what? I'm going to do it again tomorrow. Thank you. Despite strong demand ahead of the 4th of July holiday, lean hogs traded lower for much of the day Wednesday. July lean hogs down 87 cents to 111.85. August lean hogs down $1.47 to 108.32. Both block and barrel cheese were unchanged Wednesday with no loads traded. Block ended up at $2.10, barrel at $2.17. That stability of cheese did help some of the futures for Class 3 milk. June Class 3 milk fell 2 cents to 24.29 a hundred weight. July Class 3 milk up 32 cents to 23.59 a hundred weight. Most cotton contracts fell Wednesday on recession fears. July cotton rose 79 points to 144.30. December cotton fell 565 points to 108.20. By the way, the U.S. Department of Agriculture did release its crop conditions report. The Texas crop, 19%, is rated good to excellent. That is six percentage points lower than last week's report. July corn was up seven and a quarter Wednesday to 768 even. September corn down seven and a quarter to 702 even. December corn fell seven and three quarters to 693 and three quarters. 95% of the U.S. crop has emerged. That's about average. July hard red wheat fell two to 1039 and a quarter. September hard red wheat down two and a half to 1045 and three quarters. July soybeans fell 28 and a quarter Wednesday to 1652 and three quarters. July natural gas up four cents to 684. August natural gas up seven cents to 685. August crude oil fell three dollars and 79 cents Wednesday to 105.73 a barrel. September crude oil fell three dollars and 81 cents to 103.53 a barrel. That after President Biden asked Congress to pause the gas tax to help lower gas prices. The Dow rose 133 points Wednesday to 30,663. The S&P 500 rose 22 points to 3,787. The Nasdaq rose 77 points to 11,146. Well, that wraps up this look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Be sure to join us next time for the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Dolmel. We hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.